0: So you might have received one of these or got one of these when you come in over the last few weeks, Exodus read ahead scripture reminder card. Please make use of that. It will be, is this a bit echoey or are we all right? We're all right, good. Um, Yeah, use those, read in in advance because there's lots to get through. And first of all, my name is Tony and I'm one of the leaders here, just if you're new today and if you are new, you are so welcome. We love having you amongst us and And I just was really moved in worship. I don't know about you. I just felt like, oh, God is so good to us, so good to each and every one of us. And um, I was just reflecting. I read a little quote um, yesterday, it was, and I think it originated from Billy Graham, if you can remember back that far, some of us. And uh, he wrote this, that when you preach, you should have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Now, let's not worry about, my first thought was, well, how do you turn the pages? But anyway, let's not worry about that. I think the point being, we're preaching the word of God into a world and all that's going on, you know, and, and I love the fact that God speaks to us in our time of worship and Ashley's word about hope, you know, hope and Steve talking about the meeting point. There's, there are people who need the hope and the love of Jesus and we live in a world that is, is messy and has got lots of difficulties and, and maybe more coming around the corner, but we have a hope in Jesus that is, is beyond measure. He's our hope so, and our saviour in these times. So we're going to look today at um, the plagues. So it's a sort of subtle move there, but there we are. We're into the plagues. <laughs> I couldn't think of a story really, but anyway. And I wonder also, just to in the next... Four weeks or so. How many times we'll mention the World Cup? I'm going to avoid it from this point onwards. Today, I mean, I will watch it, but um, maybe anyway. Anyway, we're going to cover a lot of ground today, and we'll be looking at nine of the ten plagues um, God placed on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And and as always, if you take some verses of Scripture on their own, they can be they can be like shocking. They can be hard to take, hard to take in. Why has this happened? Why has these plagues come upon the Egyptians and on Pharaoh? And we need to see the bigger picture. We need to see what God is doing. And uh, you may be aware of the story of the plagues. You've been around a while or not. But that's okay. We're going to go through them and you'll have a better idea. And, and so it's important to give a bit of a backstory. God made a covenant with Abraham. That he's going he's gonna to make him a great nation and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, it says. And this continued through, through Jacob and Isaac and Jacob and then the 12 tribes and then the promise to the nations. This is what's going on, that God is after a people for himself. And it's always been the theme in the Bible. And Israel is now in captivity in Egypt and under oppression and living in misery. And God hears their cry. That's the backdrop of the plagues. It's not like God's gone, I'm sick and tired of the Egyptians. I'm going to deliver these plagues. God is about something far bigger. And he's going to release his people, the Israelites. God hears their cry. And God declares to Moses, I've seen their misery and I've come down to rescue them. God declares, I'm sending Moses who thought, I'm not really up to the task. If you've been around, you would have heard that in the last... Couple of weeks, and God declares to Moses, "It is not about you. It's about who I am. I am who I am. I am the Lord. I'm Yahweh." And the ten plagues are there to display God's power and supremacy. And this, as we as we go through these verses, is a battle between God and Pharaoh, and God and the many false gods as well. And uh, It's a story of the vehicle of deliverance from captivity for his people and the Israelites, and they had 114 gods apparently the Egyptians. So they were well used to knowing about gods, and we're going to look at not all of them, but most of them today. and And one of them was called Happy, the god of the Nile, and uh, quite quite you know that was what it was all about really. He made them happy. He made them uh, have a joyful life. That's what it was all about. and and so they they was in a society that had many many gods. It was a pluralistic society. And so this you might think, wow, it's so long ago. You know, we I've heard this phrase before, chronological snobbery. Well, it was so far back. They were not very bright, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's not much different to today. We live in a world with, we might not be able to say the God of, but we live in a world with many gods, with many philosophies and theories that people cling to like a god. And many behaviours. And, and I would say perhaps we don't call them gods, but they're like idols. Most people know or think there's a spiritual dimension to life and this life and the one beyond. So Pharaoh was okay with the Israelites having their own God, and as long as it didn't impact upon him and the wealth and comfort of himself and the Egyptian people. It was well known for a place of luxury and extravagance. So Pharaoh, like many people today, you can have your own God as long as it doesn't impact me, as long as it's not going to affect my life and interfere with my decisions and happiness. It's a bit odd, really, that... That's how we can think today and think, well, actually, I know better than what God says and what God wants for my life. I can think like that occasionally, maybe more than occasionally. This can't be the plan for my life, these struggles, these difficulties, these challenges. You're here to bless me, God, right? You're here to do me good. You're a good, good father, which is absolutely true. But there's so much more and deeper that God wants to do for us. Let's read some verses in the Bible. And uh, if you do have a Bible, I would really encourage you to, to open it up. It will come on the screen behind me. But um, if you know anything about the plagues, there are a lot of verses that we're going to cover today. But let's start in verse uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Afterwards Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And afterwards, Moses and Aaron Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is the Lord God. Let my people go. We want to go and, and worship him. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let him go? I do not know him. I am not letting Israel go. I won't have all these luxuries that these slaves are bringing me. And this is the key question from Pharaoh that sets up the whole plagues that are going to ensue upon him very soon. And, and the key question, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And this is what God is answering through the plagues. There's a battle coming, God versus Pharaoh. And he begins the battle with, with this begins the battle with um, Pharaoh and God. And let's ch- turn to Exodus chapter 7, verses 8 to 13, we're going to read. So we're now starting to get towards the plagues. 7, 8 to 13. It's, the, Lord, th- the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his staff in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned the wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard. And he would not listen to them, just as the Lord said. It's worth reminding yourselves or remembering, it says in verse 13, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard. So here it is, the battle is beginning. Pharaoh comes with this false confidence. He comes with an arrogance. And an expectation that his sorcerers will win the day. These Israelites are going nowhere. There's nothing to worry about here. I'm in charge. My magicians have got it. And as it says there, he walks away and hardens his heart. I will not let Pharaoh go. And we get on to chapter, stay in chapter 7 and uh, verses 14 to, 14 to 24. So we're getting on to the, the plague of blood. Lots of verses here. So anyway, I'll get on with them. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this, you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. "'Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, "'even in the vessels of wood and stone.' "'Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. "'He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh "'and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, "'and all the water was changed into blood. "'The fish in the Nile died, "'and the river smelled so bad "'that the Egyptians could not drink its water. "'Blood was everywhere in Egypt, "'but the Egyptian magicians did the same thing "'by their secret arts.' And Pharaoh's heart became hard. There it is again. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to his heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water, because they could not drink the water of the river. Pharaoh's heart has become hardened twice already. A, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? He's got no regard for God. So you would know who is the Lord. He's about what is about to happen. And that's what, that's what Moses and Aaron are presenting to Pharaoh. The Nile and the Nile Basin were the centre of economic power and vitality in this part of the world. In fact, the Egyptians had multiple gods over the Nile that they prayed to and sacrificed to. All their power, all their might, all their wealth were caught up in the Nile. And the primary god of the Nile, as I said a few minutes ago, was a goddess called Happy. Happy is there to provide fullness of life. I mean, at least they got the name sort of on the right lines, I guess. But that's what Happy brings to the table, fullness of life. And we sacrifice to Happy, and we can come to Happy Because happy is going to provide for the fullness of life, the best life possible. And they were experiencing that. The Egyptians knew what it was to have the best things, the extravagant things of life. And what God is doing here is he's exposing a lie that this happiness is built on sand. And of course, happiness can be found temporarily, excuse me, but it will not meet our deepest need. There can be great pleasure. Often found in sin. I mean, that's why it's attractive, right? Sometimes, because there's you think, oh, there's something there that's going to satisfy me. It can be found even in good things, obviously, but they don't last. We can only find real, true fullness of life in Jesus when we're reconciled to him. Can you see what I mean? There's comparisons with us and Pharaoh. We too can trust in something other than Jesus. That's what we can do. And we can. how often can you hear people say, my sense of worth is not in Jesus, in something else. And you can hear of people, I can say this now because I'm, I'm, I'm getting on a bit, right? So you probably couldn't say this in your 30s so much, I reckon. But anyway... We can trust in something other than Jesus, but you can often hear people when they retire that they've lost something that they can't replace. And that's that sense of identity, looking back on great memories and achievements. But if your satisfaction is not rooted in Jesus, there's a challenging time ahead for anyone who's retired or in that type of situation. But God is at work in our lives and he's wanting to... Complete the work that he began. And part of that work is continually coming under the word of God. And, and I think of a word, the word trajectory. Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen and in this part of the story just went into his palace. I'm not bothered. I'm not interested. He still believed, I'm in control. I'm in charge. My magicians, they've done similar stunts to, to Moses' God. Do you see his direction of travel is away from God? His heart is hardened. And Pharaoh found another way. Let's dig some trenches. We can still get some water. They've messed up the Nile, but we'll dig some trenches and get some water. Pharaoh gets further entrenched. As we go through the plagues, you'll see he gets more and more entrenched in sin and in his own mess. And sin by nature does that. We get further entrenched and hardened. It can be all sorts of things, the love of money, jealousy, selfishness, all sorts of things. Trajectory is really important. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And I don't know about you, but I want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today, and next week than last week, and next year than this year. And the gospel is great news because it's ongoing in our lives more and more every week every day and repentance is ongoing it continues to keep me before God in that right way that I can face him sometimes I don't know about you but I face the same battles that I faced last week last year even last decade what idols do you and I need to bring to God and to bring to the mercy of God that he might smash them in our lives Exodus 8, verses 1 to 15 says this Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed and into the houses of your officials. And on your people and in your ovens and kneading troughs, the frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on all the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honour of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people, that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said, Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs, will leave, the frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards and in the fields. They were piled into heaps and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart, and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Well, I mean, I, I'm not a fan of frogs. I don't know about you, but uh, if I see one, I, I'm, I'm away. I'm out of there. But to see all these frogs... I mean, I did come from London, right? So we don't have too many frogs there, but that's my excuse. But frogs everywhere is just a complete nightmare, isn't it? The second plagues of frogs, they're everywhere, and this... The last god was the god happy, and this is about the goddess Heqet. What's happening in these frogs, these plague of frogs? So it's not like a random thing. God, you know, has an idea. Let's send some frogs. He's he's smashing the idols and the god and goddesses of the Egyptians. And this is the Egyptian goddess Heket, the frog goddess. It's like a the images of a god, of a frog. And it was not, not an image of a god, but of a frog. And that's what they worshiped. You know, that's what they give sacrifice towards. And it was also supposed to bring the idea of this particular goddess was to bring fruitfulness to the Egyptian people fruitfulness in the number of children you have, fruitfulness in business, fruitfulness in finance. If you wanted to succeed and you wanted to be fruitful, you went and made sacrifices to the goddess Hecate, So that's what's going on. And, and in God's great love and kindness and mercy, he's exposing this to be a lie. The only fruit that ever lasts is found in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Each time as God exposes these false gods, he's showing us that it is in him that genuine, eternally long-lasting joy of fruit or fruitfulness is only to be found in Him. It's all about Jesus. You can only find fruitfulness in Him. And, and as, as I was reading through, you might have picked it up. This a plague, this plague affects everyone—the Egyptians—and it affects the Israelites. Frogs everywhere. And being around a while in church and having some sort of you know, pastoral responsibility over the years, you can see it's true. Christians face the same stuff as people who are not Christians. We're not immune as Christians to to life's hard knocks, the difficulties, tragedies, those sort of things. Hardship absolutely comes and it will come. If you've been around church for any length of time, you would have heard that said in preaches many, many times. So if you're facing difficulties, if you're in a challenging season, it's really important to know that Jesus is wanting to draw you close to make us aware in that painful time, in those difficult seasons, that he can be your all in all. He wants to draw close to us. We can be more fruitful. I don't know if you, this is your experience. I, I reckon it probably is. We could be more fruitful in our times of need, than our times of the high moments. When everything's going brilliantly well and everything you do seems to be an amazing success. And God is good like that and he gives us great blessings in our lives. But I, I find I know more about the love of God in those painful moments, in those struggling moments, in the difficulties of life. When I go, Jesus, you're my only answer. I need to throw myself onto you. In verse 15, Pharaoh hardened his heart after he'd requested this to end. Respite came to him. And then Pharaoh goes back on his agreement. He can't, he can't sort it. Heket is a liar, but God clears the frogs. And that happens sometimes, you know, God intervenes. And then when all's well and we go back to normal, whoa, that's good. God has sorted that out. and not long later, we can ten, have a tendency, oh, I'm back in charge now. All the trouble's sorted. We've moved on. God has helped me, but I'm now back in charge. I'm the captain of my ship. I'm in charge again. And again, trajectory is an important thing here. Pharaoh, thanks Dodie. I'll drink it because you brought it. i got some somewhere, but anyway... What did you put in here, Dodie? I know you. <laughs> I think it was speed up a bit, Tony. But anyway, where was I up to? Yes, being the captain of your own ship and trajectory is so Im- important. And Pharaoh, again, is hardening his heart, even after getting what he wanted. And I've known people, that the way that happens, life-threatening illnesses Oh, can you pray? Can you pray? I need God. Yeah, we'll pray. You know, and and I've heard these stories. Not just like I've seen them from secondhand, if you like. And then when all is well and things are back to normal, wow! Well, I don't really need God. I'll come one in four, or I won't come at all, and your heart gets hardened. Let's move on to the next couple of plagues. So we go to Exodus eight. And we're going to read verses 16 to 30 in the plague of gnats and flies. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this. And then when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, They could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, "'This is the finger of God.' But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, "'Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh "'as he goes to the river and say to him, "'This is what the Lord says, "'Let my people go so that they may worship me. "'If you do not let my people go, "'I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials.' On your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies, even the ground will be covered by them. But on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarm of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This time will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. Throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God here in the land. Moses said, that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord, our God, would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? We must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands, commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. Moses answered, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh Be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. God is exposing some more false gods to the Egyptians. The gods of names are Gep and Kepri. And uh, these are gods of the ground and the god of creation as they saw it. And, you know, like gnats flying in and gnats everywhere and flies everywhere bring disruption, bring chaos, bring much discomfort. I mean, imagine right now if there was flies and gnats everywhere, you would not be paying any attention to me whatsoever. It just takes over and brings so much discomfort. And the Egyptians had so much wealth and were so well off, but nothing could bring them comfort in this season. They've got all the best things, but there's gnats and flies everywhere in every place no amount of comfort or money or experiences will comfort the soul. They don't last. And I'm sure you know people who, who've got so much, but they're still not content. They're still, they want the next thing. And we all love comforts. I mean, I know I do. And it's good to thank God for the good things in our lives and the blessings. And I'm not saying we should live without you know, the good things God gives us, because he is a good father. He wants to do us good. But I don't want comfort to be the thing that defines me. I do not pray for discomfort right, or things worse, but I know I can trust God when that happens, when there's chaos in my life and when there's difficulty and discomfort, I can trust him. The gnats have arrived and this time Pharaoh's magicians could not replicate what God had done. The magicians were clear, this is the finger of God, this is a work of God. And this sense of chaos and confusion abounds, and, and God is disturbing this order. And it's a it's a reminder that only God is can bring real stability. And He brings stability and it's internal and it's not about the external. And that's why I think it's so helpful that Billy Graham thing. Like the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Because it doesn't matter what's going in the world, what's going on in the world. Yes, we're a part of it, we live in the world. But the word of God, deep in our hearts, brings that stability and security. The gnats were amongst the Israelites, but God made a distinction. of not, It would not affect the Israelite people. And Pharaoh, as you might have noticed as we're going through, is just trying to barter with God. Pharaoh said, I will let you go and offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but don't go very far. Now pray for me. He's, working, he's trying to work God out. He's trying to barter with God. It's very difficult to do so. You can't barter with God. I've tried it. It doesn't work. <laughs> You've probably tried it. It doesn't work. God is God. We're not God. His way, not our way. This whole story is making it clear that he is God, not these false gods, not Pharaoh. Pharaoh attempted this negotiation a few times and we uh, will come on to one. Of, and it's important that we don't also, you know, I said there's times we can be a little bit Pharaoh-like and it's important we don't aim to get away with the minimum. God's got a plan for our lives and our joy is complete and full when we're all in with Jesus. We can look at the story and think it's shocking, but God has a plan. It's not just to destroy the Egyptians but he's got a plan for the nations the redemption of the nations and and God is declaring here that sin is a problem but he has the answer we don't that's the point he has the answer and the answer is faith and repentance faith in all that Jesus has accomplished on the cross the real tragedy of this story I think is that Moses is really Pharaoh's only hope and he just dismisses it every single time. And likewise for us, our only hope is Jesus. But what a hope that is. you know. Ashley brought that earlier. And God is using these events to defeat false gods and to reveal his great power and to, dis- to demonstrate, I am the Lord of all the earth. Remember that question right at the beginning. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? It's becoming increasingly clear, even to his own musicians, not musicians, magicians and officials, who the Lord is. But Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. Even his officials were on a different trajectory. They were beginning to fear the Lord, but not so with Pharaoh. I love the fact that it's in there that the, some of his officials are turning their hearts towards God. That's the mercy of God. It's a picture of God's heart for the lost, for the nations. None of us deserve to receive his mercy and love, but he's poured it out upon us, his love and his grace. And I've mentioned the word trajectory a few times. What's your trajectory today? Is it towards God? I hope so. I'm sure it is. But I'm going I'm to dive forward really a little bit further. We're going to. There's a few plagues that I want to miss out, not because they're too painful, but because of time, about the livestock, <clears throat> you know, of, about livestock and boils and hail and locusts. You can read that a bit later. But I want to talk to you about the hardening of hearts. We'll see in the weeks to come, God rescues Israel out of slavery and into a relationship with God. God used the plagues. Pharaoh hardened his heart, God hardened his heart, and his heart was hardened. We would have read that a number of times in these verses. Ten times through the plagues, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Four times he did it, four times it became hard, and three times God hardened his heart. And Tim Chester puts it like this, Pharaoh <clears throat> freely chose to do what God had freely chosen that he would do. Because it's sometimes it's like, well, why? You know, Pharaoh, his heart, his heart has been hardened by God. Well, it wasn't his fault. He's guilty. He hardened his heart. But God also hardened his heart. And we can look at this and think this is difficult. But you can't have the doctrine of love without wrath. We'll say, we'd all agree, right? God is a God of love. I think we'd all happily, wholeheartedly agree with that. But I think you have to acknowledge, when there's a God of love, there's wrath as well. So if someone you really care for, you really love, was here right next to you, and someone came threatening to do some damage, some serious damage to that person, anger would rise up in you, wrath would rise up in you to protect this person, that person. Wrath comes out of the love of God. We watch God's justice being poured out on the Egyptians, but it's birthed in God's deep and abiding love for human flourishing. You've got to remember there was, there, there's, a, there's a tyrannical um, kingdom in the place here and killings were te- being torn apart, people's lives were being wrecked. There was no sense of human flourishing and God acted. God intervened completely justly, completely justly. And we could argue, were the Israelites, you know, were they better than than, than the Egyptians? Well, they weren't. They made mistakes very soon after. Not long after captivity, when they're out, they created a golden calf to, to worship. So they were no better. And the verses say that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But it's not just as simple as Pharaoh hardening his own heart and then God completing the task. God had said before any plagues hit, he would harden Pharaoh's heart. And Romans 9, 15 and 16 say this. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. And that can be slightly troubling in some senses, but it shouldn't. It should make us joyful and happy because it's the love of God drawing us to Himself. None of us deserve mercy. None of us deserve the kindness of God. God is a gracious Savior. And if you're here today, which you are obviously, right? Everyone who's in this room today, there's something of the love of God that has affected you. And even if you feel far off, there's a, you're in the place to know that God is drawing you close, He is calling you close. He's a gracious Savior. And that's so important. Remember the thief on the cross, the last moments of his life, God saved him because God is full of love. God so loved the world. That's who God is. But there is this part, he is God. He's not a toothless God. He's in charge. So we're going to finish with the final plague in the, in the last couple of minutes. And um, if the band could come up, that'd be great. And just while they're making their way up. the play, I'll read these verses. And, it's, and it says this in, in Exodus 10, 21 to 29. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, You must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord and our our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshipping the Lord our God until we get there. We will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. Total darkness for three days. Like most Egyptians, Pharaoh was a sun worshipper and god was just this completely breaking up these idols and these gods these false gods more than that he was regarded as the embodiment of the god the sun god ra these are the 3 days of darkness that this declaring this sun god is a false god and it's a reminder in Matthew 27:45 when Jesus dies, and there was darkness for three hours in that afternoon. And we see on the cross the mercy and love of God. All the plagues of this world put on Jesus. All the wrath of God put onto Jesus. And he took it upon himself and rose again. And I just love that last one. Well, it's not the last one, the next one's even better, right? We know what's coming. But darkness covered the earth. But the Israelites, the people of God, had light. And we've got the light of God in us. And his love is poured out towards us. And, and I love that. He's our saviour. Can we, can we stand? And I just want to finish, just ask, what is your trajectory? Is it towards God? Or at the moment, is it away from God? And if it's away from God, what I love about God is in a moment, He can change things. If it's away from God, we can step towards Him. And we're going to come and worship. And we've got a couple of minutes left. If it's away from God, I'd love you to come forward so that we can pray for you. He loves a humble heart. He loves someone who wants to respond to Him and say, God, you are God and I need you. And I think there are other people in this room who could do with some prayer. You know, we can have we love God, but there can be idols still in our hearts. I know it's true of me. You know, I, I, can, I love a bit of comfort. I don't know about you. But, I, you know, I think there are things in our lives where we can respond and say, I want that broken. I want, I want to be all in for Jesus. So if you recognise there's bits in your life, there's idols in your life that you want broken and changed, demolished in Jesus, then you can do it. It might be the love of money, it might be relationships, it might be jealousy, it might be success, it might be comfort. Let's come forward and maybe you're here for the first time and or you've been here a number of times and you don't actually know Jesus, then today you can know the love of God. That can change too. So we're gonna worship and and if you're in one of those categories I'd love you to come forward. It's a big, bold step. It's brave. But, you know, God will meet you in that moment of surrendering to him. So let's worship and then then come and respond to him. Let's make our way forward.